Hi, everyone. We're here at the Bellagio in Las Vegas this week. And so we're doing Monday Minute a little differently. Yeah, we are here for the Food on Demand conference, which is one of my favorite conferences of the year. And so happy to have it back on. So this week, we thought rather than share with you news headlines, we would share with you some of the most interesting quotes. And there have been plenty, I can assure you, from the various different folks that were on the panels and were speaking over the last three days. So you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Now, we'll start with Fred LaFranc and Zach Goldstein from Thanks that uh, were talking on a panel about loyalty. But the specific element I thought would be useful to share is about third-party menu pricing. Now, the guys were basically saying, if you haven't raised your prices yet, raise your prices on third parties. And so, Meredith, I'm curious, what is your take on this? Do you think that's good advice, bad advice, and why should people do it and where perhaps shouldn't they do it? Yeah, you know, I think that's a very tricky one. I know we've seen in news headlines, uh, Chipotle raised their prices. Um, we talk in the book about Papa John's having uh, deals that are available on first party that maybe aren't available on third party. Uh, so certainly the big brands are differentiating their prices across the platforms. I think a lot of small independent restaurants do it too, just to keep their margins even. But one thing that concerns me about it is for smaller restaurants that maybe don't have the brand strength, don't have necessarily consumers coming through their first parties or even into their restaurants, they're being discovered on the third party platforms. They run the risk of appearing kind of expensive. If that's the only touch point a consumer has with their brand, um, seeing that higher price uh, is a little bit difficult. And so I think that leads us to um, a different approach, yeah? Yeah, well, I, we also got to meet a gentleman by the name of Colin Wallace uh, this week and last week on LinkedIn. He actually put a, a post out, and I'll read it to you. It says, the unfortunate thing is that 25 to 60% of customers that are ordering through delivery apps are first-time customers. So the first experience they have with a restaurant brand is pricing, and that may leave them feeling confused, upset, frustrated, or downright betrayed. Oftentimes, this means they're not going to come back. And I really like Colin's take on this because obviously the way in which a customer discovers you is not always going to be to your particular choice. They're not always going to go direct to your website to find out about yourself. And so I kind of am in the same place as where Colin is here. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you can't increase your prices to accommodate things like inflation. But remember that today's restaurant customer is an omni-channel customer. And that means they're experiencing your brand. And if they don't think you're value for money, they're more likely to be turned towards those that are providing value for that money. And so that, that's the real challenge. It's uh, it's not an easy one, but certainly one we'll keep, uh, keep talking to everyone about. And one of the things that platforms do is make it so easy to compare on three key dimensions. One is time to order, two is rating, and three is price, right? So keep that in mind. Okay, let's move on. Um, we have another great quote here from Hadi Rashid from Lunchbox, and it's around the theme of seamless payment. He told us that we found that 30% of customers are abandoning their cart if you ask them to manually enter their credit cards. And so across the Lunchbox platform, anyone that's on Lunchbox will know, of course, that they have mandated each of their restaurant clients to utilize Google and Apple Pay. So what's your take on this? Does this make sense or was Lunchbox doing something crazy? No, 100% makes sense. Um, we found the same thing at Taco Bell when we first launched the app many, many years ago. Um, and I think, you know, you see the same thing um, across all forms of e-commerce, which is why things like Apple Pay and Google Pay exist, right? Consumers don't like memorizing 16-digit numbers unless they're huge numbers nerds like I am. 
And most people don't want to go to the hassle of having to get up and go find their credit card and type in all those numbers. So um, making things frictionless, making things easy is the best way to, to get a consumer to follow through. And of course, it'll also keep them coming back as well. Again, this is where the big third party players have got such a strength because they've worked on that usability factor. So for those of you that are developing your first party platforms, really think about that payment process, not just in terms of every transaction, but in the setup, the number of steps that a customer needs to take to get registered on that platform. And really be diligent about asking yourself, how much information do you truly need on that first experience? Because as long as you've got their email, you can continue to obviously reach out and gather that information over time. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, another one that we've often uh, got into is the piece around unexpected demands. Uh, it's one of the biggest challenges right now associated to restaurants that are succeeding with off-premise. When they get lots of orders coming in, typically they might turn off the platform. Now, Kevin Klein, who's the SVP of sales for Grubhub, has actually said, shut yourselves off, right? That was one of the quotes that we captured from him. Um, now, that kind of seems a bit odd, right? I mean, say no to customers, does that make sense? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, and it's the equivalent of closing your doors uh, and just saying, you know what, uh, all our tables are full, we're too busy right now, we're not taking anyone else, and we're locking the doors. Uh, we would never do that in a brick and mortar setting, and it's surprising to find that many restaurants do it regularly in an off-premise setting. Yeah, I think the, the challenge that restaurants uh, need to really address is how can we change our operation to be able to better accommodate this extra level of business? It's all too easy to turn off those uh, those kind of marketplaces to be able to just focus on your on-premise guests. And like, we understand it, completely empathize with that particular challenge. But the restaurant executives out there need to find the technologies and the processes and the operational processes to really better accommodate for that. Yeah. Okay, um, on to our next quote. Uh, one of our biggest fans of our book, Alex Cantor, um, he was talking about restaurant capacity, and he was talking about it in the context of ghost kitchens and virtual brands. So let me read out to you his quote. He said, there are, there's millions of restaurants in the US right now. 90% of those restaurants have excess capacity. We don't need more kitchens. We don't need more capacity to manufacture and produce food. Most restaurants are operating at 30% capacity. There's an incredible opportunity to do more out of existing infrastructure. So do you agree? Yeah, you know, um, I am a little bit, famous for saying uh, maybe we shouldn't be building any more restaurants and maybe we should never build another restaurant again, which is quite a thing for a person who built a thousand restaurants to say. The reason I say it is because I, I agree with Alex. There is a lot of unutilized capacity out there, um, which it creates the perfect opportunity for his company Next Bite to put virtual brands in those kitchens and use up a lot of that existing capacity and, and push them higher. Now, the unfortunate thing, as we were just talking about in the last quote, is that a lot of the orders come in at the exact same peak time. We all kind of eat around noon and six, right? That's what America does. And so while there may be 30% um, operating capacity, a lot of that operating um, available capacity is at times when people aren't really ordering things. So point the first. And point the second, a lot of the existing infrastructure was not created for off-premise. Um, it is just not ideal, and we're all trying to retrofit and put in shelves and put signs up for curbside parking and all those great things, but there is nothing like a kitchen that has been specifically designed to enable off-premise and to make it as efficient and effective as possible. You know, the thing I would also suggest is the menu. You know, think about that menu optimization up front, how much of your menu really is you know, ideal for an off-premise example. And in th that instance, that means, can you create your dishes within 10 minutes or less? 
do you have to have your full menu available for off-premise? And even if you are going to perhaps switch off your main menu, could you look to actually develop virtual brands themselves, which are limited in their own right, but keep them present so that way the customers that are looking specifically for your type of food can actually still have that accommodated for? Is it as simple as a binary decision of just turning things on or off? Yeah. More, more to come. Okay, our last quote of the day uh, was one of my favorite presentations. As everyone knows, I'm a big fan of things futurist and uh, drones, it seems, are not so futurist anymore. In fact, this is happening uh, across Orange County. For those of you seeing Rudolph, I think we heard, is going to be uh, delivering various different uh, swag across to folks in Orange County uh, over the next kind of few days. And part of that is because of El Polo Loco working with uh, a company that is helping drones come to life, if you will. Now, Andy Rebhan, who's the SVP of Digital and Marketing, told us that, uh, let's see here, how can we make delivery more profitable? He said, you're going to need to look at new technology to keep margins intact. It's about 30% cheaper for us to do drone delivery than regular delivery. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> um, amazing, um, first of all, that drones are in fact real and they are in fact delivering things and hats off to El Pollo Loco for making that happen. Um, but also amazing that the price comes down, right? Having humans do point-to-point -point delivery uh, is a really expensive proposition and figuring out ways to bundle orders, bundle with different verticals, um, use automation to engage in that last mile delivery. All those things are gonna be important for bringing the price down. Um, there is a point at which the consumer is not gonna be willing to pay more um, to uh, accommodate the delivery, even though they're demanding the convenience. And those restaurants who figure out how to satisfy that demand but do so in a profitable way are going to do really well. Yeah, I think the exciting thing is, is that these companies are ready to go. And once regulators are going to obviously move forward with actually making sure this happens in a place which is obviously safe and is viable, we're going to see a lot more drone deliveries, particularly in areas which aren't uh, city centers. It's going to be certainly those areas which are more suburban in, in nature. And the great thing is, is that a lot of these deliveries are happening within five minutes of the actual place where the food is consumed. So there's a lot more happening, I think, with regards to how ghost kitchens and having food consumed, uh, produced closer to where it's consumed, is going to be supported through drone delivery too. So exciting things, uh, a really cool conference that we've been able to enjoy yeah, here. I know, we just hit five of the quotes and we have so many, so many interesting things going on. So awesome to see the continuing innovation in the space. Yeah, absolutely. So as ever, give us your thoughts. We've uh, given a few contentious ones today in the comments below. Leave your questions for us. Uh, if you've got any particular items that you'd like us to cover in a future uh, Monday Minute, please do so. And uh, thanks always for listening.